Welcome back to Partnerships Unraveled. The podcast where we unravel the mysteries of partnerships and channel on a weekly basis. My name is Rick van der Bos and I'm the CEO and founder at Chenex. And I'm here together with Alex Whitford, VP Partners at Chenex. Alex, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing really well. I'm on one today, so I think we're going to have an absolute argument uh, discussing Europe, US. It's a bit of a Ryder Cup special almost and how we discuss how programs should differ between those two areas. Yeah, because I think that's indeed the thing that we're hearing all the time from our customers at the moment, right? Like everyone is looking at how can we make things more programmatic, more scalable with the resources we have. But then we're designing that program in the US usually from a global perspective. But then it's indeed how do we make sure we get the right nuances? And for today, we're going to focus mainly on Europe to get it right in the local regions as well. Yeah, so look, we spend our life talking to channel leaders, right? Um, Some of those based in the US, some of those based in Europe. And it's really tempting to build a one-size-fits-all solution. The whole world is going to look this way. And then what you'll find out is, oh, actually, now that it's landed in Europe, it's not having the same effect, right? And I think this is the battle that's constantly faced. What's automated and what's scalable versus what's nuanced and what's detailed and what's the balance between getting those two things right? Because it's really easy to go, cool, everyone come up with your own strategy and then you find out nothing's aligned. Really easy also to go, cool, one strategy fits everywhere and then also you miss that alignment. Yeah, I think that's the forever ongoing friction between global and the regions, right? Like global wants to have it as scalable as possible and the regions want to have it as personalized and as like customized to their region as possible. And I think today we're going to do a little bit of that battle to, together and discussion in terms of what's the right balance. I think that's the, the end goal where we want to get to in this podcast. Yeah, I've, I've spent a lot of my uh, career, so this is why I'm on one today, because uh, I've spent a lot of my career arguing with Americans around the detail of Europe and why we're really special. And I know uh, plenty of Americans on the other side of the pond who go, oh yeah, but we hear every region special, every country special, they all need their own plan. So yeah, it's definitely um, a debate that I don't think we'll solve today, but hopefully we can add some detail around it. Yeah, I like it. Can you give us an example of, of, of a topic, for example, that used to be like a thing where you had a lot of discussion around in terms of like customizing that more to the to the European region? Yeah, so um, I, I've worked in distribution for years, right? And so distribution is something that I know inside and out. Um, and what you'll see in, in the US is typically a lot less distribution, i.e. a lot less distributors deployed. Why? One language, one tax, one legal system. And so you can have a distributor with huge coverage that does a really, really good job facilitating that business. But where I came from, you'd have three or four distributors per country. Then you look at Europe, 20-odd countries, 30-odd countries, suddenly you go like, oh my God, there's like 50 distributors being deployed. Maybe a couple covering a few territories, but then you'll have the niche specialists that either focus on one area, one type of proposition, one type of product, or a combination of all three. And there is real value in those distributors because they're really specialized and know their market versus one that covers all of Europe and can never have that same level of detail. And so that was a constant uh, cause of friction because the US go, oh my God, why do we have all these distributors? We've got to hire all these distribution managers. It's really complicated versus Europe pushing back and going, no, 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 but they provide huge value because they really, really understand their market. Yeah, I think indeed what you see in the US is that you have a couple of broadliners who together own the full market, but in, in Europe, it's very different. And even if you work with a broadliner, let's say a TD Cynics or an Ingram, 
micro they they might be strong very strong in europe overall but everyone is stronger in one region or one country versus the other and that's why you can never make it work just with one european contract right that you have it for the full region and have everything sorted yeah so like one you know i i've worked with td synex in the past in fact i called them a broadliner to their face and they got really annoyed so sorry uh, td synex for that um but they um the power of signing them is i signed one agreement and rolled out zoom all across Europe with one signature. Like it's crazy, like that's so hard to do. So they've done an amazing work from a back office, a legal, a tax perspective to get their contracts in such an order that it's one signature. Because otherwise, typically you have to sign lots of agreements. It's really, really complicated. And so they've done an amazing job to the vendor for that. But obviously there's a trade-off, right? When you have coverage from Russia all the way through to Portugal, which for the geographically challenged is basically all of Europe, that's really, really hard to do. Um, you can't have the level of penetration and market understanding in each of those territories. You can't be strong everywhere. So the question I always pose and position to, to the Americans is, cool, so do we understand what that trade-off is? Where are we going to win? Where are we going to lose? And what are we going to do to scale our channel penetration so that we know where those challenges are? And what are we going to do to deepen our value within distribution to ensure that we can continue to be successful? Yeah, and I think the word trade-off that you mentioned is very important there. And I think that's what the global program managers are constantly doing. Like they are trading off, like how far can I personalize with the resources that we actually have? Because indeed every region has their own demands but then at a certain moment you need to say yeah but this is how far we go this is how far we standardize where do you see like most friction between between global and and europe in this case uh, on those particular matters yeah so there's, there's a couple which are like requirements right there are legal and tax requirements differences in europe versus us so uh, uh, one that is fairly close to to my heart is brexit happened which made everything a lot more complicated because then there's a different tax and import structure in the uk versus 25 miles away in france right so that's complicated so those are that's a hard requirement that you have to solve for another good example would be language it's great to do marketing but if you're doing marketing in English in France, don't even bother. Like literally don't bother because no one is going to do anything with that. And so my my hard advice is work out what your must-haves are. And so there is some tax stuff, there is some language stuff that you have to do or don't even bother landing in the market. And so that level of nuance, there is no discussion as far as I'm concerned. Or If you don't have the resource, then I would seriously consider whether it's even worthwhile trying to expand into Europe you only have english content just focus on england focus on the uk and the us and grow that way and then once you've got the capability to do translation and everything else then you can go further but that's really where the conversation starts then there's loads of nuances that you can then get into and that's the constant trade-off that programs and the regional leaders will be getting into to go you know we're special we need this versus programs going calm down we don't have the resources there are other priorities yeah, I think those two that you mentioned are really important indeed because um, we've experienced it firsthand with all the customers that we help. Like, for example, indeed, if you launch marketing in certain regions, you need to provide it in their local language or partners don't even bother of participating in your program towards their uh, towards their end user. And indeed, the, the example you gave, France is very important. Southern Europe is very important. Benelux and Nordics, you're already a bit easier with with English, but still the preference really is the language. So you really need to make sure you hit that one home. But another one I need from a legal perspective, for example, is GDPR. 
which is extremely strict in Germany. And we also found out there the more and more we're helping customers entering in the Germany market uh, uh, with their program from a marketing perspective, that if you don't have a super clear story about GDPR and everything set up in your program, especially towards GDPR and then in Germany, the strongest suit, the partners will not participate. They will not onboard. You can keep like uh, making, trying to get them enthusiastic for it, but you need to get that specific part sorted before you can actually scale it in a region like Germany. And and I think that's indeed, those two are really the must-haves. Yeah, I, I, I know from my time at Zoom, we had a GDPR statement. I could track how how much that was opened. And I just know culturally, people would say, yeah, yeah, we need to see your GDPR thing. And if they were in England, I'd say, yeah, here it is. You can go on the website and no one ever would. You know, just me saying, yeah, we've got it culturally was enough. But you just balance that against Germans and they will go, cool. Thank you for sending it over. And then they will go through it in detail and come back with questions. And so that's just a, a cultural market that you need to have very, very distinguished policies because people just are different, right? We're, we're mostly the same, but there are key differences that if you want to land incredibly well or if you want to continue to scale as well as possible, if you aren't looking at those nuances and those differences, it will be hard for you to be successful or it's going to dampen the level of growth that you're trying to achieve. This is stuff that I've learned managing wider and wider organizations across Europe. And I couldn't believe the differences, right? And you go, oh, there's certain stuff that we need to to be aware of. And it must be much harder, right? If you're an American, you've never been outside California and you, your entire program is designed from there to understand those differences. And that's what you've got to rely on your local organization to feed those back to you so that you can go, cool, we need a GDPR policy written in German so that people will understand it, download it and read it because that's going to help us scale more effectively. And in how far do you think it's the responsibility of the global program management to actually get those cultural or market nuances from specific countries or regions yeah. into the program? Cool. So if I put my leadership hat on, how do I empower the uh, the local organizations to give me that feedback, right? So it's it's incumbent on me to set up the process to evangelize why we need that level of feedback and to commit to those organizations that we are going to work through this as well as we can. But then it's incumbent on the local organizations to feedback what's relevant, right? I hear this time and time again. It drives me crazy. Everything's an emergency. If you if you are an everything's an emergency person, no one will listen to you over time because you go, we must have this. And then it's like three weeks later, we must have this. And if if you're always crying that there's a fire, eventually people will stop believing you, right? And so it's incumbent on both parties to set up that communication flow so the local organizations know how to feedback and what to feedback. But if everything's top priority, nothing's top priority. So it's important that you're only feeding back what really is going to change the game and not just every little nice to have that you can think of. No, that's a very valid point. I think if you go for more like a bottom-up approach where you get a lot of feedback from the regions, then as a region, it's very important to understand that the things you do flag should be super relevant and highly important because if you just throw like a bunch of things like this is everything I need and, and it's too much, then it's also not possible for global anymore to standardize. Well, if you're very critical and ask them for the top two or three things you actually need within your region, what the global program managers are looking for. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really is. I, I, you know, I'm hot on these things, so I get really annoyed. But to me, it's lack of respect, right? If, if you're asking me to say, hey, can you give me a list of what's your priorities? And I throw 100 priorities over to you. 
it means that I'm being lazy because I'm not taking the time to go through everything I think and give you a proper list. I'm just throwing stuff at you and going, hopefully you'll fix it. I'm not being respectful to your time and to your priority. So if I'm going to ask you to do work, I'm going to put some work in as well, right? That's what the partnership is. That's why the channel is so great. It's cool. Here are the 10 things that I would like, but here are the things that I need. Can you work your way through the list? And once you get to number four, we're now in nice to have territory, but I'll try and give you credible information and data so that you know the impact. And so that's one of the things that I'd really stress is when we make those requests over to uh, global program people, make sure they understand the context of what you're asking for. Make sure that they understand the outcome that this will drive. So there's a big difference between, guys, we don't have a GDPR statement publicly available and it's really complicated. German partners won't sign up if we if we don't have this. It's a hard requirement versus, hey, I would like nuanced language between Austria and Germany. There's some very slight differences in how we should market to those two different markets. That's a really nice to have thing. Great if you're Coca-Cola and you've got billions and billions and billions to spend on direct marketing, and then you're going to do those nuances. That's a very nice to have function. And so if you don't distinguish between those two things, I mean, you're just not, you're just not giving the guy a chance to be successful, right? That's really hard if you're lacking that context. So it's really important that we give everyone the information for them to be successful. Yeah, and specifically the language thing is an is an interesting one because there indeed you see there's so many different type of nuances between different countries. But in general, there's of course a couple of languages that we that that are being spoken in a lot of countries worldwide, and that's also what we see. Like try to standardize that from a global perspective as much as possible. We see with a lot of customers and vendors we're speaking to, they have approximately eight focus languages that they provide all the content in. I think that's actually quite good already. And then from there, you allow the regions to customize that to their own specific market nuance or their own specific cultural difference in terms of language, etc. I, I think that's the way to go eventually because you can't standardize much further than those eight to 10 languages. No, uh, the, the only other thing that I'd really stress is, is think big, right? So I, we, we talk about this a lot. I, I evangelize it in my organization uh, here at Chanex, which is, Guys, let's try and design the car to go 200% faster. And what would that mean, right? So it's really easy to try and iterate. We're going to make a 5% improvement, a 10% improvement. But how could you make a 200% improvement? That means, oh, we need a new chassis, right? We need a new whatever. We need something completely different. And tooling, automation, and AI can prove to be that difference. And so that that's be the real push that I give both local people and program people to analyze. Hey, if we did want to create loads of marketing content that's unique and in, in very specific languages. Okay, well, AI could probably help us do that. Okay, let's think about how we could do that. Automation could help us do that. That's the stuff that you really want to get into so that you stop just looking at the one, two, three must-haves, but start looking at the four, five, six nice-to-haves, but could prove a real credible difference to your success. Yeah, yeah, I agree there. And that, that's the only way to approach it. And like, especially around those, like how can you facilitate the local regions with the right technology, with the, with the right uh, frameworks there to actually personalize the program towards their specific needs. And, and maybe that's an interesting thing to touch upon. Like if you were a program manager and you would like start growing and, and building your program bottom up, like where would you start? How would you approach that to get the right type of input from the different regions? Yes, so really simple. 
First, I'd pull the regional leaders from my key territories onto a call and say, look, we're instating a, a, a proposition where I'm going to empower you to make changes to the program to help you move forward. And I'm giving them a framework. That doesn't mean you now get a completely different pricing structure, but it does mean that you can change this, 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 and this. So we might say you can change the product direction in terms of what we market and we can make these changes, give them an area for them to make their nuanced changes in to help drive their market performance. People respond so well to that type of message because you're empowering them to make changes, but you're confining them to an area which still protects the level of scalability that you need. That's how you're going to thread the needle between a one-size-fits-all and full customization because full customization is never going to scale. I heard um, uh, the CEO of Airbnb the other day talk about this and I thought it was a really nice way of putting it. If you're building a car and someone goes, oh, we're going to build a completely different type of tire. Well, that means that it doesn't fit on the wheel, which means a new wheel has to be designed, which means a new chassis has to be designed, which means a new, and you get this knock on effect, right? Slows everything down. So you need some level of alignment. Hey, we need you to play within this box, but then you can define within the context of that box what we need to change. And so I would be presenting to the local organizations, hey, we want to give you flexibility around what our marketing message in your territory looks like. That's the flexibility. Now it's up to them to go and go away and do the due diligence around what's going to help their market What's really clever allows you to A-B test. Suddenly, if the France message is working so much better than the German message, why? Right? Hey, what if we now translate the France message into German? Oh, look, it started to go better. That's the ability to be able to put some level of nuance in to allow people and empower people to be successful. Yeah, that, that context piece is crucial because there's also one risk that I see when you start collaborating like that with the local regions and asking for their input is that also they might expect, once they've given their input, that you are actually going to implement that. And if you don't clearly communicate what you are implementing and what not and why, then that can also lead to friction and a bit of annoyance. So that's super important. I'm fully on board with the piece that the bottom-up strategy of building your program is very, very strong. But you also need to make sure that you cover the risk of that you actually communicate very properly to the different regions what you're actually going to put into the program you can just give the right examples that we just gave, like we need skill, we need to have, have a certain uniformity within the program, etc. So that's why we're doing this and not doing that. But I think that piece is crucial to do this in a good way within your organization and make sure that everyone supports the program as well. 100%. There's a difference between fact-finding and implementation, right? And I think going through that fact-finding journey is really critical. I'm a huge believer that the to-do list is literally the only thing you need to go and be wildly successful. But if you haven't gone and gone on fact-finding mission with all your local regions, put it into a priority order that you can then work down, sharing the context to say, we are doing one, two, and three, we're looking at four, five, six, but it's not going to be until next year. And seven, eight, nine, we're never touching, just to let you know. Then people go, cool, we get it, fine. Now I understand why we did all this exercise. I agree with your prioritizations. Give people the opportunity to feedback and should four and three swap round as an example and, and share the context on why you've made those decisions. But if you do that cyclically, few things will happen. First, you will build a more nuanced program that's got local buy-in, which should be more successful because they're in the weeds. They're, they're the feet in the street that can give you the feedback. Second, you get an empowered team 
right? They feel that they are a part of the process. They are more committed to run through walls for you and, and really make it successful. And the third bit, you've now got that dialogue flow to and to and fro between your central organization and your local teams, meaning that if stuff does change, you're a more agile business unit, allowing you to be more consistently successful. Uh, the f- the feedback loop becomes much shorter, and I think that's where it's so interesting because every like all customs we work with are huge multinationals, and it's so difficult to keep that continuous feedback loop. And I think indeed by building it up like this, getting continuous feedback on it, but especially when you're launching new programs or when you're like going to revamp a certain program, make sure you start with that bottom up model, but then also have a very clear vision on how are you then going to scale your partner program top down. And I think that's maybe another piece that's interesting to dive into. Like, what are the best practices there if you want to scale it top down, what you need to look at? Well, I think maybe I'm going to flip the question back to you because I know you've got a a real vision on how products should be created. We get customer feedback. How do those two pieces interlock for you that you're getting feedback from people on the street, but you also have a vision in terms of how things should be executed? Yeah, I think indeed how I look at those things is indeed with a lot of similarities actually in how you build a product as well and how you build a program. What you want is that continuous feedback loop, so constantly getting input from all the local regions and it, or in the product case, the local the, the customers. You want to get the co- co- continuous feedback loop to really get all the input you need so you can build the ultimate program. But when you start building, that's when you also need to make the hard choices where you say, okay, we have, let's say you're a program manager, actually the local regions are your customers. That's that's how you should look at it. And we have maybe 30 or 40 local regions. They all have their specific needs and requirements. But it's my job as a global program manager to now figure out where is the overlap, where is the biggest need at the moment, and what are we going to build first and in what order. So then you make those decisions top down, but then you make sure you scale it with the right technology and with the right communication around it where the programs, where you have a uniform way of launching your program, but then also at the, at, the, at the same time, when it's growing and when it's scaling, the regions can actually customize it to their own needs. So, for example, with their own distributors, they can do certain customization on their own market nuances, etc. But you set out a big strategy with the, with the program. I, I, I love that. And I think one of the things that, you know, I, I'm forever banging into my teams and I think is really relevant here is, guys, Don't try and solve the problem, highlight the problem, right? It's not our job as local reps in this example to build the program. But what I need to do is highlight the problem with enough context that they can solve it, right? So the example that we've used a few times, uh, Thomas Ford built, built the first car and his famous quote is, if I asked people what they needed, they would have told me a faster horse. Instead, you ask what the problem they have is. Oh, it's transport. Cool then I'll solve that problem. But I'm going to solve it as the product genius and solve that problem. You are the program genius. So what they need is enough context so that they can build a program that solves the problem you have. It's not the responsibility of the local regions to start trying to build programs. That's not your area of specialization. But you are people who communicate with partners constantly, who obsess around the number, obsess about the marketing plan, I can then share that back to my program people to go, cool, these are the problems I'm facing. Here's enough context for you then to build to the next car. That's the goal. Um, I actually think that analogy is really good because the regions are always very quarterly or maybe fiscal year focused, Max. Well, actually the global program managers and the global teams are very long-term focused. And I think that's indeed where the two worlds come together. 
We want the feedback from everyone who's in the trenches day by day. We will actually know where are we struggling, where are we accelerating, etc. But then you also want a long-term vision of where it needs to go for the upcoming three to five years. 100% agree. Awesome. Yeah, I think we shared a lot of things around our vision on program, uh, park, on building and scaling partner programs. Uh, if uh, one of our listeners wants to have a further chat about it, please hit me or Alex up in the DM on LinkedIn. We always love to get your feedback. Thanks again for sharing today, Alex, and to our listeners. See you next week.